Hello everyone, welcome to Figment of My Reality, where we talk about the true stuff that makes this big old world seem made up. I'm your first co-host, Jeremy Bales. And I'm your other co-host, Jason Wright. So Jeremy, you got a little boo-boo, buddy. You got a little boo-boo on your leg. I uh, I did do some serious damage to the old uh, the old left limb of mine on the bottom half. We uh, we were in some recreational sports the other day. <laughs> some some ultimate frisbee, real it, tough man things. It, it was ultimate, and I'll tell you what, Jason. Um, I wish it would have rained maybe for <laughs> several days prior to our playing. You know, sometimes when you're out there whipping the disc around, things just get out of hand. Wow, you're really making this sound about as bad as it could. <laughs> Love that slang. <laughs> That was it was a gnarly catch though. I like the thing I, I ran it down, and uh, as you pointed out, Jason, there's nothing quite like ru- the feeling of running under a disc when it's in the air, just trying to uh, hawk it down while it's in the air. I wish we were still going into work so you could explain to everybody at your work that you're limping around because you're out whipping the disc with the bros. Yeah, yeah, and, lots of tank <laughs> tops. Lots just of had uh, to really lay out for that catch. Oh yeah, you know. I think, if I recall correctly, there was about six man buns, uh, a dozen and a half <laughs> tank tops, and uh, gosh, I can't remember. How many Fu Manchus were there? I think it was just mine, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Just yours. <laughs> what well, The funny thing about that, Jason, is I am actually still going into work. <laughs> but I did I did put on a brave face. I didn't, didn't show anybody I was limping. I didn't show them any of my battle scars. I figured, you know what? It's too embarrassing. <laughs> nope. I was like, they don't need to hear about this. They'll be more intrigued. They'll say, "Wow, what a warrior!" Is there anything we could do for you? You know, I did, I didn't want to put that burden on them to be caretakers of me. You know, I was trying to think of the team. As we grow older, Jeremy, we have to realize we just can't be chasing that disc down like the young bucks anymore you know that realization had come to me (laughs) (laughs) i'm too old to be running down running down the disc like a hawk the day after the evening after the day after it happened i was just kind of sitting my leg propped up with triple antibiotic ointment on it i was thinking (laughs) yeah i really can't be doing this anymore (laughs) i'm not as young as i once was where I could run down a frisbee, make a sweet diving catch for it, and then just walk it off. I need about seven to ten minutes between each hustle, <laughs> and then we'll see where we're at. I mean, I didn't even do anything, and I was sore for days just from running above a brisk walk. <laughs> Moving faster than a brisk walk makes me sore for for many days. That's what quarantine will do for you. We can say that it was, we can just blame it on the quarantine. I think. <laughs> yeah, the quarantine. Okay, so let's get into the story. So my story is about Ken Allen. Ken Allen is an orangutan. Oh, he has. That's probably the first uh, critter name that I've heard that sounds like a real human name. <laughs> Ken Ken Allen sounds like a guy that sits on his porch and drinks Keystone Light every night. Keith Stone, he's Keith Stone's cousin. <laughs> I just yeah, I just imagine Ken Allen hanging out with Keystone, this orangutan with a big pork pie hat on and a brewski. I feel like that is a uh, a series of commercials that's just been waiting in the wings to be launched. <laughs> <laughs> 
How's it going? Ken Allen. Wait a second. That's not the slogan. <laughs> <laughs> but Ken Allen lived to be 29 years old from wow. 1971 to 2000. Wow. And he was in San Diego Zoo. He was born in captivity, raised, and uh, he wasn't the typical orangutan. What's the reason behind that? Is it is it because his name is Ken Allen? I can't so, imagine there are many orangutans called <laughs> Ken Allen. No, probably. Ken not, Allen, hold but... on, hold on. Ken <laughs> Allen does in fact sound like a superhero alias. <laughs> Was the orangutan a superhero? Is that why he wasn't like the other orangutans? <laughs> Well, he wasn't like the other orangutans. He did kind of have a superhero quality to him, but it was more of a uh, an escape artist type superpower. Okay. He okay. actually he actually escaped several times from his his cage and or his sanctuary. That was a good save, Jason. <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah. a cage; it's a sanctuary. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. And he uh, he got the nickname Harry Houdini. Did he hold on? So some clarifications need to be made. He got called Harry Houdini as a nickname because he was an escape yeah. artist. Exactly. Why not just name the stinking orangutan Harry Houdini? Well, Jeremy, I think when he was born in captivity, they didn't pick him up and look into his little twinkling eyes and think this boy is going to elude us several times and escape his his sanctuary over and over again. You know what kind of pisses me off? They just said this guy looks like he'd like a beer. <laughs> He still looks like a Keith Stone. You know what frustrates me, Jason, with that type of logic? How in the heck did Mr. and Mrs. Incredible look at their baby boy before he had had any powers and say, you know what, he'll probably be fast. We'll call him Dash. <laughs> Same concept, Maybe, poor execution. I think, I think he probably has other powers, Dash does, mm. but he's kind of painted into this box by his parents, Ooh. giving him that name. I just, I just want to be free, parents. Let me let me turn invisible yeah. too. No, you're the fast <laughs> one. <laughs> so Ken Allen, from a young age, started showing that he would have this uh, escape artist ability. When he was younger, in in his nursery cage, they would put him in the cage at night inside <laughs> of this room, and he would unscrew the bolts off the top of the cage, pop it open, and wander around the room. Oh. And one article I read even said he would get back in the cage and put the bolts back on. <laughs> what a beast. <laughs> Not only is so he's more of like a infiltrator than anything else. Make a like a um incognito. He 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 gets us he gets his escape. He meanders about, he collects reconnaissance, he collects information, doing a little bit of reconnaissance. Then he slips back in, no one to be any the wiser. I thought he was just going to, like, bend bars or do something, like, He-Man style. He's, like, real <laughs> stealthy about it. <laughs> so, that's a, that's when he, he first starts. But then he gets older. So, when he's about 14 in 1985, he makes his first big escape by climbing the wall of his sanctuary. Not his cage. It was, yeah. And during, during zoo hours, so they were open... Uh-huh. And he's wandering around, not doing anything menacing, kind of like you described. He's just wandering around. Just, hey, what's up, people? <laughs> Takes the zoo official several minutes to figure out he's not in his cage anymore. And once they find out, they kind of corral him back in and get him back in. <laughs> is he like, is there ever an, a time where he's unwilling to get back in? Or it's more like, a, oh, you caught me. All right. And he just waddles back in with the rest um, of them. <laughs> 
most of the time it's like uh, he's wandering around. There were, were a couple inc incidences that we'll get into. But the zoo started getting worried about, well, what's going to happen with this orangutan escape <laughs> during the day? Are we going to get any bad publicity? And uh, it was quite the opposite. Great publicity. The newspaper put out headlines about this orangutan. He got super popular. People started printing t-shirts and bumper stickers to free Ken Allen as like kind of a spoof joke. He actually built up quite a following in the area for his escape artist technique. So my follow-up to that is, did the zoo only interpret the free Ken Allen t-shirts and memorabilia as like a, a hoax or was this an actual protest where people were like, this orangutan needs to go free. You guys need to do this. They're like, yeah, it's such a funny thing, right? Free him. He frees himself. Why would we free him? I think, I don't think the zoo was behind it. I think other people were putting out the t-shirts, but I think it was more of a funny thing for people to put out. I don't think it was a real protest that he needed to be freed. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine the zoo would try to free their own animals. No. So the second time around, the zoo started to put up a little bit more security. They dug like a four-foot-wide moat outside of his sanctuary, <laughs> put up a four-foot fence behind the moat. So you would have to climb a wall, then there's a moat, then there's another wall. And what you've moat. given Ke Keith, I'm going to just call him Keith now, Keith, Keith Allen, <laughs> is his own castle. What you have done now is you have provided him <laughs> with a defensible position from which to reign. <laughs> That was the plan. Uh -huh. He escapes once and now he has a castle. <laughs> so the zoo thinks they got him. Keith <laughs> says, no, no, no. I'm getting out again. He climbs out again. And this time he goes over to another orangutan sanctuary, which <laughs> they described Ken Allen not liking this other orangutan. And he Ooh. proceeds to throw rocks at him while he's in his sanctuary. <laughs> So he is going to a neighboring kingdom, seeing that there are limited defenses and trying to take over there as well. So a, a theory behind this is, well, maybe Ken is escaping because the other orangutan has females and he's mad about it that he doesn't have any. Ooh, I would be, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, so they, give, they get Ken some companions in his sanctuary shortly after... He escapes again with the help <laughs> of his new new compatriot, and he actually helps that orangutan escape also. Where did they go this time, I wonder? Back to throw rocks? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're both throwing rocks. No. Um, they're wandering around the zoo again, and they say when they go to catch him this time, things aren't quite as easy. He runs towards the lion den, but they're able oh, to catch no. him before he jumps the fence in. Can you imagine an orangutan riding a lion and just seeing how that would be like? <laughs> well, you know Ken, Ken's idea was to get over there and bust them out. and, and just He's like bringing them all back to his zoo. castle is what he's going to do. <laughs> he's like Rome. He's going and conquering the zoo one uh -huh. section of land at a time. Uh -huh, that's exactly right. And then the more he escapes, the more they're going to build his defensible position. And then in the night, the one time that they're not sort of going to be watching him, He's going to collect all of his uh, his allies and his steeds. I'm thinking the lions and tigers here. And then they can never go into that sanctuary again. That's his That's Ken's sanctuary. It's, it's a uh, independent province. 
people will start doing American Sign Language, signing his demands. <laughs> <laughs> Say you own this zoo, Jeremy. Okay. This orangutan's busted out three times. Yep. What do you? Th- what are you gonna do to try to figure out how this guy's busting out and fix the situation? Probably uh, cameras would be my best idea to figure out what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing sort of our steez when it comes to these stories. I'm thinking like maybe somebody just dressed up as a as a tree to pull surveillance overnight. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so they did try the cameras, but for some reason Ken decided he's not going to try to break out anymore while the cameras are there. There's not for so, some reason. Ken is smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they start trying to just survey him all the time, and Ken's mm-hmm. kind of they say he's kind of starting to act different. He notices that the people are watching him and he's just kind of chilling he's a gamer dude he's oceans 14 (laughs) so the uh the workers start dressing in civilian clothes thinking well maybe if we're not dressed in our our normal outfit ken will uh try to escape well ken sees through their disguise ken is a genius my guy (laughs) he just starts chilling again i'm waiting for a picture of ken like kicking up his feet like pointing, <laughs> pointing out all the workers with his giant fingers. <laughs> so they know Ken escaped by climbing out a couple times. So what they decide to do is hire several professional rock climbers to go in the sanctuary and figure out every toe, finger, foothold that they could possibly climb out using and address all of those independently based off of what the rock climbers come back with. I feel like I wasn't that far off. (laughs) (laughs) You don't understand that, like, Ken, not only is Ken a genius, a certified Keithstone genius, he's going to figure out that they're doing this, and he's just going to break out another way. My guy undid the bolts on a cage when he was an infant. (laughs) I think he will figure it out. (laughs) So they end up spending... $45,000 to redo this cage, eliminate the footholds, the handholds. They put an electric fence around the top of the cage. Not going to matter. And there's mixed reports, but I've seen that he broke out a couple times after that. I heard that he only broke out the three times. We're going to stick with the consistency and say he only broke out three times. But Ken was able to elude this zoo for three escapes caused them to spend tens of thousands of dollars to stop him from escaping again. This is insane. And became kind of a small folk hero slash legend in in the San Diego area. When he died, there was obituaries in the paper about him. Um, they held a vigil for him. There was a following, or like a kind of club, that put out like a two-page article in a zoo magazine about him. Uh. Um, he he kind of had his own little cult following, it sounded like. And now, Jason, that cult following has extended to our extensive listenership. Ken <laughs> Allen, the greatest orangutan of all time. Don't at me. <laughs> Alrighty. Going from... One critter to another. Jason Ryan, let me pose a question to you. What do you think would be one of the most annoying, frustrating, um, difficult 
types of animals to run studies on? Um, moles. What's your reasoning? Um, things that stay underground all the time. Okay. Um, or maybe flies. Things that are small and don't live very long. Well, you're not far off when you said flies. So what I have for you, Jason, is a set of studies, not all done by the same person or establishment, but all focusing around bees. Now, I am of the same mindset as you, and that's something that is pretty much constantly moving, constantly has things to do, or inside of a hive would probably be pretty frustrating, something that could also... um, maybe hurt you or sting you Um, (laughs) yeah the bee the bee is kind of the combination of what i said they're small fly don't live long and the hive kind of keeps them hidden kind of the underground mm -hmm. aspect so yeah Yeah. it sounds like bee is maybe the most elusive you mean you can't you can't strap on one of the uh trackers to a bee no you can't (laughs) you know what i mean you're probably not gonna get great data off of that bee that's sitting on the ground with the tracker strapped to it yeah so we could fairly assess that bees are the flying moles of the world. <laughs> so I mentioned a little bit about the pain. You know, bees can can sting you and, and cause some irritability. So what's the first study I'm going to bring to your attention, Jason? That would be the Michael L. Smith Honeybee Sting Pain Index. Now, <laughs> if you look at uh, the, the picture I just sent to us, in the, sent to you in the chat, the man was thorough. He ooh, he looks like he <laughs> looks like he's got some low calf sting, some bottom of the foot that probably mm-hmm. wasn't good. Yep, butt cheek, and uh, what's this? A little, <laughs> a little, um, um, growth. Some personal growth he was trying to make in in the yep. uh, in the genital region. <laughs> yeah, he was he was a thorough individual. It's it looks like this man was like, oh, um. Let me let me see, guys, wh- how the stings affect all these different places. And he's secretly like, I'm going to try to make my wiener big. Yep. <laughs> I think you might have been on <laughs> like, something. Because what what is the thought about how how often does somebody get stung <laughs> in the wiener that you need to study the pain index of it? Couldn't tell you. So what I can tell you is that this was fairly recent in 2014. So my guess is that he had just gotten stung a couple times you know probably doing that what you what you were mentioning trying to give himself some personal growth and then he was like telling his buddies his buddies like what is wrong with you he's like uh uh pain index so <laughs> my, my guess is he kind of just stumbled into this study <laughs> so what he found is that the three most actually uh obviously they were sort of a ranking system of the the pain index, and I looked at. Yeah, I think I know it's number one. Well, <laughs> you'd be surprised, maybe. So I only have the top three unordered and the bottom three unordered. Do you care to give a guess to uh, to the least painful before we get into the the heavy hitters? The least painful out of mm-hmm. all of them. Out of all of them. So just I, just for the listeners, I, we I, have I, a couple here. We'll start from you know the skull. Armpit, nipple, upper arm, forearm, abdomen. Obviously, uh, we have penis shaft and scrotum. We have <laughs> upper thigh. <laughs> yes, Jason. This is, <laughs> I this just is like scientific. His that he needed, he needed to make sure he got all. Yeah, that, of that, that, that was also my question. <laughs> 
everywhere else has. is kind of spread out over his whole body, but he's like, nope, I need three really close things together here. Yep, there's a uh, cheek, upper lip, nostril, lower back, the the booty cheek, the neck, the back of the ear. Um, so what do you think from, from what we have here would be the least painful of the bee stings? Uh, I'm between two, which is the butt cheek and the back of the neck. Okay. Um, butt cheek, obviously, lots of lots of flesh, mm-hmm. um, unless you're unlucky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the back of the neck. Or unless you work hard. <laughs> <laughs> the back of the neck, um, I... I typically get a lot of sunburns there, and they don't really hurt that bad. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say back of the neck. Well, that is not in the top three, nor is your other guess of the buttock. Neither mm. of them in the top. So what I will say is in the bottom, or I guess the top three least painful, mm-hmm. would be middle toe tip, the upper arm, and the skull. I guess the skull kind of makes sense. A little bit more than the back of the neck. I would say the back of the neck is a little bit... I understand sunburn's a different type of thing, but I would say that's a fairly... I would would say toe tip, I think, would hurt. Yeah, I think so, too. If you've ever stubbed the the pinky toe, I imagine the the impact would be relatively similar, but I guess not. So, Jason, give me me quick quick hitters, top three most painful. What do you think? Uh, I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say the... The three that are close together. The, so you're uh, saying penis shots, scrotum. Shots. Yeah, and... the genital shots. Mm, okay. So one of those three is is yes. And that would be the one where personal growth would be most likely but also most painful. The other two that he had in the top three pain index was the upper lip and the nostril, which I, I think is very fair to say. Nostril yeah, probably also sense. inhibits your breathing. Mm-hmm. So that is that is the first study I have to bring to your attention, Jason. Is see, this seems like a very poor study. The whole <laughs> is is this whole thing based off of this one man being stung? Yes, that's <laughs> that would that should not fly in a, in a scientific <laughs> research. We need to get at least several hundred people stung here. The issue is who would volunteer? volunteer? How many are we going to find? Several hundred sickos to come here and get stung in all Sam- these places, and less than thirty sample size too small. <laughs> yeah, I I thought the same thing, but you know, better him than us, right? It's ultimately I have no desire to get stung by uh, any bee in any spot on my body. But it's nice to know the upper arm's a little bit safer than other places. <laughs> yeah. If a bee comes at me, I'm just going to flex at him real hard and say, hit me here, bro. <laughs> my big arm. Get my arm. <laughs> so the second one was a bit funnier to me for for reasons I'll get into. But plainly speaking, Jason, it's the effects of cocaine on the foraging behavior and uh, biogenetic amine something. It's, it's a long article title, but basically it is, does blow affect bees? <laughs> That's important to know, because you know those bees are probably going to come after all the blow sooner or later. Yeah, it's only a matter of time, right? And then how, and then we got to figure out how we're going to help the bees. <laughs> yeah, let's get the rehab program for the bees go. <laughs> yeah, he's just ahead of the game here. Yeah, well, hopefully obvious answer to this question 
is yes, cocaine does in fact affect bees. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so what they found was that uh, cocaine is a hell of a drug. It is in fact that, but it showed a a higher, or I guess a coked up bee showed a higher preference for feeding locations with the number of. Uh, sucrose feeders which means just like they kept on going back to the sugar and you know i imagine that you know <laughs> a lot of sniffing happened on the bees said hey can i get that good sugar is this that good booger sugar please <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised they didn't find that the bee wanted to go to the local bee club and kind of really boogie down <laughs> just spend all that good bee money <laughs> you know how uh um bees they say bees can communicate through a type of dance and movement to tell other bees <laughs> where the location is. I just picture all these location the of what that, the cocaine. <laughs> well, usually of flowers and pollen and everything, mm-hmm. but um, I imagine one bee being hopped up on coke and coming in and dancing for all the other ones. The other bees being like, "God, Ted will not shut the fuck up today." <laughs> I get just... it. There's a flower three miles south. Let me go. <laughs> It's like, no, you got to go back. It's great. <laughs> uh, there was a couple other responses, but again, I was just sort of highlighting the the peculiarness of where did these people get cocaine to give to these bees? <laughs> How is that? Research. Yeah. Can you just go somewhere, but go to the local uh, police department? Can I have some cocaine, please? <laughs> what? It's for science. It's for <laughs> bee science. <laughs> it's for bee science. <laughs> Makes no sense to me whatsoever. So the last one I'm bring to you, Jason. Uh, uh, let me retroactively say that that last one with cocaine was uh, 2009. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, yeah, seems pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. With the most recent one being uh, 2015, is um, another study on what impacts bees' behaviors, and this one wasn't cocaine. It was coffee, specifically just higher levels of caffeine. They used coffee grounds and um, other other sources to get bees caffeinated. Mm-hmm. And again, I would hope that the obvious answer is obviously if you inject something into a bee or um, subject it to something that maybe it's not in this typical day-to-day life, it will in fact have an impact. <laughs> so the yeah, short... Especially drugs. Yeah, drugs, you know. Obviously. But this one just made me chuckle a little bit. So the biggest takeaway that they found when they gave bees caffeine is that their habits for visiting flowers and sources of pollen was more exploitative rather than mutually beneficial. So know this. (laughs) Give me all that pollen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) A, A coked up bee addicted to a specific sugar plant. A caffeinated bee is a real jerk, will take everything he can from you and give nothing back. (laughs) I just wonder what what drives people to think, you know, I really like bees. I want to know more about them. Let me see if I can jack up their lifestyle. Because my question, Jason, is what is this doing to the bee's home life? (laughs) Some bee comes home from his 12-hour workday picking up pollen for for the hive. And it's just not himself. He's always thinking about that that sugar. He's like, you know what? I really just decimated that flower today. I really deserved it. And the the family of the bee is like, man, what's going on with you today? <laughs> you got a problem. Do we need to take you to bee rehab? <laughs> what I think happened 
is this is a group of guys who just did a lot of blow and they the bees are the researchers the researchers and they and they stumbled they were super high stumbled into a hive of bees the police came they said what are you doing and they're research science (laughs) bee bee research and they just had to kind of throw all of this together yeah (laughs) over the course of six years (laughs) exactly they they got caught doing drugs and had to resort to science to fix their problems that makes sense because the earliest study was 2009 that's when the original capture happened that's when they originally got caught they're like uh (laughs) be science with cocaine 2014 rolls around a guy is probably coked up out of his mind he's like wait a second what if i try some human growth here nope no dice (laughs) 2015 what if we just had coffee what if we just did the same thing with coffee (laughs) so that's uh three interesting bonkers bee studies jason and i think we are not far out from a repeat study we need to get the next level of bee science going i don't know i think it's probably well i was gonna say pre-workout but sure (laughs) (laughs) you heard it here first Meth on bees. Will it impact them? And if so, how? (laughs) That's going to do it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on whatever podcatcher you're using. It helps us out a bunch. Uh, If you're interested in contacting us with one of your stories, you want to hear us talk about something that you know that we don't, you can reach us at figofmyreality on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our email is figmintofmyreality at gmail.com. Let's up with that fact. This week's piece of reality is, uh, for every child born in Wales since April 2014, the Welsh government have donated a fruit tree to Ugandan families to celebrate the birth or adoption of every child. I'm Jeremy Bales. And I'm Jason Wright. Talk to you next week.